This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health, discussing conception, pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who have made it from struggling to wellness, and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On this episode, we're talking with Ingrid Esparza. She is going to share her personal story. And some of the things that she talks about can be difficult for some of you to hear, especially if you've had your own experience with birth trauma or postpartum hemorrhage, to be more specific. I'm very grateful to Ingrid for coming on to talk about her experience, in part because it's really in hearing ourselves reflected out in the world that we begin to realize that we're not alone and that we're not crazy and that, you know what, actually I might need help and it's okay to get help. So for those of you who are currently, you know, feeling the the depth of any kind of trauma, I would just caution you if you're going to listen to this. So for those of you who do listen, I would love to know in what ways that it's helpful to hear other people's experience. And specifically, if you've had your own experience with a postpartum hemorrhage or traumatic birth experience or difficulty with breastfeeding, as Ingrid is going to talk about, I'd love to hear from you guys. Ingrid is originally from Mexico, but she's lived in the U.S. since she was nine years old. She moved to Lincoln, Nebraska, where she currently lives, in October of 2015 from Savannah, Georgia. She's married and has a son who will be three at the end of July. She's been able to be a stay-at-home mom, but plans to go back to work in the fall. She holds a master's degree in early childhood education. She holds a master's degree in early childhood education. She's led a Climb Out of the Darkness event in Lincoln for the past two years and hopes to continue to do more to bring awareness, education, and support to her community about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And as I said before, she's going to be talking about her experience with a postpartum hemorrhage and a traumatic birth and being apart from her son for a couple of days and what her experience was like with breastfeeding and how challenging that was. She's also able to share a little bit about how culture... And her cultural experience could have helped or potentially impacted her experience. So without further ado, let's meet Ingrid. Welcome, Ingrid. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah, I'm very grateful that, you know, I put the call out for people who wanted to share their stories. And I'm really grateful that you said yes. And I know it can be really difficult to tell your personal story sometimes and how important it is for other people to hear stories so that they know that they're not alone. So I really, really appreciate you coming on. And if you feel comfortable to just go ahead and start wherever you feel is appropriate to tell us about your experience. Sure. Well, so to start off, I want to say that I was one of those, I guess you can say lucky, that I had an amazing pregnancy. From the second that I found out I was pregnant until the very end, everything just went pretty smoothly. I didn't really have morning sickness or, you know, other than being tired the first trimester, everything was just great. And of course, my husband and I had been trying for, I don't know, about seven months or so, and we were just ecstatic about finally being pregnant and having a baby soon. So we did uh, everything to prepare and everything, once again, was going smoothly until probably towards the end of my due date. I was still feeling fine, still feeling great, but I was not progressing in the sense of like showing signs that I was going to go into labor anytime soon. And so I was going to a birth center and they allowed me to go to up to 41 weeks and five days. And I did. On the day of 41 weeks and five days, I was going to have an at-home induction. And I started out that morning waking up and not feeling my baby. It was one of the scariest moments when I woke up and I just could not feel him. I didn't know it was the he at the time. And I immediately had some orange juice because I had heard that that works. And when it didn't work, I called my midwife and she asked me to eat breakfast and then call her back. And so I did. And I was crying this whole time just because Mm -hmm. I knew something was wrong. Right. Meanwhile, my midwife was preparing to have somebody meet me at the birth center because it was before hours. I called her back and she had me come into the birth center. They immediately hooked me up into a machine. I don't remember what they're called, but they're essentially like to monitor the baby. I knew something was wrong when the nurse practitioner, usually she would hook me up to the machine and leave the room. This time she hooked me up and stayed and was massaging my belly. And it took a while to hear the heartbeat. We finally heard the heartbeat, and they called the lead midwife in, and because of the size of my baby, he was measuring 11 pounds, 5 ounces. Hmm. They had to call their backup physician. The backup physician immediately suggested a C-section, and so I was transferred to the hospital, went in, had a C-section, met my baby boy, and everything was great. Like, we had him in our arms after, for a minute, we thought we had lost him. Oh, gosh. So that's kind of how my experience with being a mom started out. And then we had, I would say, about two hours that were just perfect. You know, our parents were there, and we were just all happy and just enjoying the baby. But then maybe about... After everybody had gone home two and a half, three hours later, I just felt a gush, like something coming out of me. So Mm -hmm. we called the nurse and unfortunate for me, it was during time or shift change. So when the nurse came in, she noticed the blood and she said, oh, you know, it's fine. I'll go ahead and change. And I think she thought 
that maybe I had not been changed in a long time. Mm. And that's why there was so much blood. So she changed my padding and everything. She left the room. Almost immediately after she left, I felt another big gush. Mm -hmm. And I asked my husband to call. Once again, because it was during shift change, you know, they're exchanging information and stuff. So it took her a while to come. We had to call a second time. And she came in finally after we called, I want to say maybe even three times. Mm -hmm. And she came in, she took a look, and she left the room. Um, Did she say anything? No, she didn't say anything. She just left the room. Within minutes, our room was filled with what seemed like 20 people. So at this point, you don't know what's going on. I don't. No, I just... Nobody has said anything to you about what they think is going on. No. So it was the doctor that did my C-section is there, several nurses. And the hospital where I gave birth was a teaching hospital. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of residents that were there in the room as well. So at this point, I don't remember whether they had explained exactly what was going on. I knew I was hemorrhaging and it had clotted because I had been hemorrhaging for, I think, hours, but it just had not been caught. So one of the doctors wanted to go ahead and do an extraction, I guess, like go ahead and start taking all the clots out. And so she started doing that. I don't know how graphic you want me to get, but it was pretty traumatic for me because I decline morphine. At this point, I was thinking, oh, they just need to go in and do this. And then, you know, I'll be with my baby. And of course, I don't want morphine, you know, because I have this newborn. So I could literally feel everything every time she went in with her arm and was scraping my uterus. That's pretty intense. And I'm sure, you know, for you, it was very intense. And for other people who've had that experience, you know, already you've been dealing with so much. And now... You're feeling all of this. Yes, definitely. That's about the last that I remember. From there, my husband has filled in the gaps. I had lost so much blood and they could not stop the bleeding even after they had taken the clots out. So they had my husband sign a waiver. It was one of those things where the doctor said, you need to sign this right now. We need to rush her back in into the OR. Like some type of release for you to have surgery? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he was told that they would get back in about 30 minutes or so to give him an update. And what had happened was my uterus would not contract back. I mentioned my son was measuring big. He ended up being 10 pounds, 12 ounces. Yeah. So he had stretched my uterus so much that it couldn't contract back. So they had to do a surgery to make my uterus think that I was still pregnant so that it would stop trying to contract. And because I had lost so much blood, they also had to do a transfusion. Right. And unfortunately, this landed me in ICU for three days. Mm-hmm. So I was separated from my baby for those three days. After I was taken back to the OR, from the time that I was back into a regular room, four and a half days passed, and I got to see my baby for five minutes during those four and a half days. Oh, no. So that was the beginning of my motherhood experience, which I would consider very traumatic and obviously not what I was expecting at all. Then 
I finally went home. Well, after three days in ICU, and then they put me into a step-down room, kind of in between Mm -hmm. ICU and a regular room. Mm -hmm. And I was there for a full day and then into a regular room. And I was there for a day. And then we finally got to go home. Okay. So at this point, you haven't had a whole lot of time to see your new baby. Um, Your husband is kind of managing as much as possible with the baby and with your care in terms of decision-making and stuff like that. Yes. He was there the whole time. The poor guy. I mean, he barely got any sleep or, you know, he was left with a newborn when I was taken. So, yeah. So you're all uh, dealing with a lot to say the least. Baby was fine though. Baby was fine. He as healthy as can be. Yes. Okay. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games, and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that followed two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. So then if I can ask, what did you start to notice of it just about how you were feeling, just your state of mind? It took me a while to figure out that there was something going on. I was kind of in shock, I think, for a long time, even mm-hmm. after I got home. You know, I was worried, you know, now that I have my baby, you know, I felt like I had lost all those days. I needed to figure out breastfeeding. So all my kind of time and energy went into focusing, okay, I need to breastfeed him. And he wasn't latching, 
This is like five days after delivery now? Yes. And I thought, well, he's probably not latching because he had to take a bottle from the very beginning and he got used to the bottle. So now I need to get him, you know, used to my breast. So I started seeing a lactation consultant. And at this point I was in survival mode and I was focused Mm -hmm. on breastfeeding. Like I was obsessed. Like I'm going to breastfeed this child. If I can just kind of say that I think that is such a common response, not necessarily specifically breastfeeding, but after an experience like that, you're just trying to get yourself back together. And a lot of people describe becoming like hyper-focused on making sure that something that's important to them can happen because things have been out of your control for so long already. Right, right. And that was my next focus, like just determined to breastfeed. So Mm -hmm. I started going to a lactation consultant about twice a week. I was going to see her and, you know, trying to figure out why my baby wasn't latching. And it turned out he did have a tongue tie. And he also had torticollis. And he had some issues with his jaw and, like, the joints. He didn't have enough strength. Mm -hmm. So we started going to a cranial sacral specialist as well just so he could have therapy and build his muscles and the strength. And constantly just, I joined every Facebook group that I could find about breastfeeding and, you know, Googling everything I could, like, to see how I could keep my supply while, you know, we're trying to get him to latch. And I used a nipple shield. And I remember even at some, at one point, he was sleeping pretty much through the whole night, you know, about six hours, which is a lot for a newborn. And I was still having my alarm and every two hours I was getting up and I was pumping because I felt if I don't pump, well, that's what I was told by my lactations consultant. If I don't pump, you know, I'm going to lose my supply because he's not latching and then it's just never going to happen. So Um, at this point, did you still sort of feel like you're in survival mode? Yes. Um, I still had not thought about what had happened. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, thinking breastfeeding, breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. But in one of those days, I was actually sitting in my baby's room. And I want to say he was taking a nap. And it had to be on a weekend because my husband was home. And I was pumping. And then my husband walked in just to check on me. And I just said to him, I almost died, didn't I? Mm-hmm. And he said, yes. Wow. And that was it. That's all I said. And then I went back to <laughs> obsessing about breastfeeding. And that did you was, feel like connected to that question emotionally or did you feel kind of like numb to it? I felt numb to it because my biggest concern at that moment was breastfeeding. Right. And, you know, I didn't have the natural birth that I wanted. Mm-hmm. So this was the next thing. This was what I had to do in right. order to, you know, be a good mom and, you know, breast yeah. is best. Um, and that's what I wanted and, and needed to do. And, you know, of course, I would go to the lactation consultant and they would say, well, you just need to do this, this and that. And, you know, I remember spending so much money in like all these vitamins that they asked me to get because I was starting to lose my supply from him not latching. Mm-hmm. So finally, I could also tell that it just wasn't going to happen, maybe. Because I would put my son, and even when he did start latching, he would fall asleep. 
Mm-hmm. He just, you know, I didn't have enough supply for him to be interested in it, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. So finally, I hired the lactation consultant to come into our home and spend the whole day with me mm-hmm. because I felt like every time that I would go to her office, she was essentially telling me that I was doing something wrong uh-huh. because, mm-hmm. you know, That's it didn't sad. work. Yes. Mm-hmm. So finally, she came and she spent the whole day with us. And I showed her how I would put him to my breast and he would fall asleep almost immediately. But then if I would give him the bottle, he would eat. And after two or three times trying during that day, she finally said, oh, okay, like maybe you're not making this up. And I remember that following Monday, I was going to go into the office and I had a friend visit that weekend and I just had an amazing conversation with him and I don't think he knows actually till this day, but that conversation made me realize that I just had to give up breastfeeding and Mm. it was okay. So I walked up that Monday into the lactation consultant's office, just ready to say that I was done. And luckily she was also on the same page and she said, Mm. you know what? I think that breastfeeding looks different for everybody and, you know, you're able to give him a little bit of milk and then supplement most of it and that's okay. And So I let go of that. So how long did that take? Like, how old is your son at this point? He is probably about three months. Okay, so you were trying for two and a half months or three, almost three months. Yes, it was a long time. That is a long time. Yes, yes. So I think it was after I stopped breastfeeding because I didn't have that. And I did let it go. I was actually able, once I made that decision and... Mm -hmm you know, stop seeing the lactation consultant, I was able to let it go. And because my mind finally cleared from the breastfeeding obsession, that's when I started realizing that I'm having all this anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I've started noticing these patterns, like I would never go in to see my son first thing in the morning. I would always send my husband because I was convinced that he was going to be dead and I didn't want to be the one to find the body. I started noticing that I'm afraid to give him a bath. And Mm -hmm. so I just made it into telling my husband, oh, you know, you work all day. I'm home with him. This is your time with him. So, Mm -hmm. you know, bath time and bedtime can be your time together. So my husband didn't even know. Mm -hmm. I started noticing these things, but Mm -hmm. I didn't say anything to anybody. I couldn't take him to the store. I could hardly take him out anywhere. And probably around this time... Well, no, maybe about a month and a half later, when he was about five months old, I met this group of women and they were amazing. It was Mm -hmm. such a great support system for me. All of us had had babies within a few weeks of each other. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a wonderful support system. And because they were always so reassuring, like, oh, yes, motherhood is hard. And, you know, the first few months are the hardest and we're adjusting, you know, I felt reassured that, okay, well, maybe these thoughts are not as bad, mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe they are normal. So I just kind of continued with life, you know, having these thoughts and worrying all the time, but not really paying attention to them. So it sounds like from the kind of thoughts you were having, like your primary worries was that somehow your son was going to die or be hurt yes. um, in some major way. Yes. There was nothing specific. Like a lot of people, when I've shared about not being able to give him a bath, 
they were like, well, do you think he would drown? And I was like, not exactly. Like, I can't pinpoint what I thought exactly was going mm-hmm. to happen. I just thought that it would happen. And I didn't want to be the one associated with a dead body. Mm-hmm. So that's why I would avoid bath time. I would have avoid being the one going to get him in the morning from his crib because right. I didn't want to be the one finding the body. So that's extremely intense. And it sounds like it was happening pretty regularly, those thoughts. Yes, yes. So my son will be three at the end of July. And I did not give him a bath until he was almost two years old. Mm-hmm. So you dealt with this for a long time. Yes, yes. And the thoughts, would they come in like a flash or were they just kind of always there? What did it feel like? I think some of them were always there. Some of them were more like a flash. Like, you know, looking back, I also slept a lot. It's funny because a lot of people that I've heard, you know, they worry so much that they're not able to sleep. Mm -hmm. I think that I almost went into like a sleep some major sleep so that I wouldn't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. But then first thing in the morning, as soon as I would wake up, you know, immediately was like, oh my goodness, he's dead. So even if I was the first one that would wake up, I would not nudge my husband and be like, Mm -hmm. oh, go wake him up, you know? Mm -hmm. And once again, I didn't tell my husband for a long time. So Mm -hmm. I would just play it off like, you know, oh, go get him, you know, just like a game, like he gets to be the one to wake him up. How long would you say that this was like an experience that only you knew about? Nobody else knew that you were feeling this way? About seven or eight months. Mm -hmm. Yes, my son was about seven or eight months. And I started noticing that all these women that I mentioned earlier, they were getting back to normal, you know, Mm -hmm. they were out and about, they felt very confident in Mm -hmm. doing things with their kids. And I was still having a hard time even going to the grocery store. Like I would not go to the grocery store with my son. Mm -hmm. And it was always just with him. When I didn't have him, when I felt like I wasn't in charge of him, I was fine. But it was always surrounding him. So I started noticing, you know, I'm still having all these thoughts, all these worries about something happening to him. And obviously we're all getting you know, it's getting closer. Now we're closer to the first birthday than the birthday. And I'm still having all of these. So I remember one day I just started Googling, like what is going on. And at the time I lived in Savannah, Georgia, I came across uh, Climb Out of the Darkness, Mm -hmm. which was, it's an event that it's held every June. And there was a person in Savannah that was leading this event. So I decided to join the team. And I remember going and reading more. I started reading like blog posts from postpartum progress and finally thinking, oh my goodness, people actually feel this way. And I guess I should clarify, like never in my mind did it cross that it was like postpartum depression or Mm -hmm. anything because I was happy and I'd never heard of postpartum anxiety, never had no clue that that was a thing. Mm -hmm. So when I started reading all these things through postpartum progress, I realized that there is such a thing as postpartum anxiety. And I sort of self-diagnosed, I guess, like Mm -hmm. I just read all these things. I was like, this is what I have. And then I talked to my husband about going to climb out of the darkness in Savannah, and he was very supportive. And I led him into a few of my thoughts, but Mm -hmm. not all of them. Right. 
Thank you for saying that. I thought such a common experience that women and men who are suffering as well, but having this experience that's so, so just kind of internal and in your own, nobody else knows what's going on. And it is really hard to put that out there, like to share these kinds of thoughts and how you just described it, that you just put a little bit out at a time is so common. Yes, I would say from the first time that I mentioned something to my husband until it was like full-blown disclosure, Mm -hmm. it was maybe almost a year, Mm -hmm. you know, of letting him little by little. And I guess I wanted to test the waters, like, is he going to think I'm crazy? You know, how is he going to react? Because I didn't want him to think that I didn't love him or that I didn't love my son or that I wasn't trying to be a good mom. But, you know, it sometimes felt that way. Like I just wasn't being good enough for him. That's heartbreaking. And also another thing that I just hear so often. I mean, who wants to feel the way you felt, you know, but you do. And it feels a lot like it's there's something wrong with you. And yes, and that's exactly how I felt. In October 2015, so my son was just a little over a year old. We moved from Savannah, Georgia to Lincoln, Nebraska, and that's when things got really bad for me, just because I had lost that amazing support group that I had in Savannah. Moving here, I knew a couple of people, and they were great, but, you know, they work full-time, and I didn't really know that many people here, and Mm -hmm. I was alone, and it just started getting worse and worse and worse. Finally, I think my anxiety turned into a little bit of depression just from feeling so lonely. And one day I was trying to get my son to nap. And I guess I should mention any time that anything happened that did not go according to the schedule or how I thought it should go, it was just like a panic attack or a freak out moment for me. Um, Related to your son specifically? To my son, yes. So in this particular day, you know, he always napped for three hours in the afternoon, you know, starting around one until about three, sometimes longer. So I went to put him down for a nap and he just was not ready for nap to nap this time. So after about 20 minutes of trying to get him to nap, I just started freaking out. I didn't know what to do. I thought the world was going to end because it's like he should be napping right now. Why is he not napping? And I remember screaming at him. And like, not just raising my voice, but just Mm -hmm. screaming, like, why are you not napping right now? Yeah. And I immediately caught myself and I was like, this is not me. So I left him in his crib. I went downstairs. I called my husband and I just said, you need to come home right now. So he came home and I was just sitting there crying. My son, the funny thing is he was just laughing. You know, he was having a good time. He wasn't tired. So, you know, he didn't want to nap. And my husband went and got him and then he said, I think you need to go see somebody. Mm-hmm. So he took my son for the rest of the afternoon just so I could have some time to myself. I found a counselor and started going to see a counselor on a weekly basis and also got on medication. I had let it go too long to where I needed both the weekly sessions and the medication uh, to start feeling somewhat normal again. And did it help you? It did. And that's one thing that I realized too. Having that social support was amazing, but it was not the only thing that I needed. 
Right. It's I needed the social support, sure, but I also needed the counseling. I needed mm-hmm. to, to talk through the birth trauma because I realized that at that point, so my son was like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I had not really discussed the trauma other than that one question of I almost died, didn't I? Right. I had never really talked about it after that. And I needed to really talk to somebody who was trained and mm-hmm to synthesize my mind from it and be able to talk about it without just feeling so worried all the time. Because one of the things, anytime I had a friend who was going into labor, I was obsessive because I thought they were going to have the same complications that I did. And until I heard that they were, yes, I just, the second that I heard, oh, I've gone in, I'm going into labor, you know, it's time, it's a go time until I heard they were safe at home. Mm -hmm. I just kept worrying, you know, that something was going to happen to them. Right. And yeah, that's how that trauma shows up as you start to worry about anything that's similar, either happening to you or happening to somebody else. That's very, very difficult. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. So looking back now on your experience, I'm curious to know what kinds of things were impacting your experience and specifically, was there anything related to culture that either helped or impacted your experience? So I think for me, I'm from Mexico. That's where I'm from originally. And I remember 
when I first got pregnant or found out that I was pregnant, I was excited about the thought that my mom was going to come and spend time with us because that's what she had done with my sister. And that's just what Mexican moms do. And they make you broth, you know, because you're not going to be eating that much other than broth. And they help take care of the baby. I remember my grandmother coming to stay with us when my sister was first born and just any sound my sister would make, my grandmother would not allow my mom to get up because she needed to rest. So it was my grandmother, you know, doing a lot of the caring for the baby. In my case, because my son was almost two weeks late, plus you add that week that I was in the hospital, mm-hmm. unfortunately, that my mom did spend like a month and a half with us. But three of those weeks were, I don't want to say wasted, but just used up. And waiting the two weeks that my son was late and then Mm -hmm. the week in the hospital. So I didn't actually get as much time after the birth with my mom like I wish I would have. And I think that even that, like the start of me as a mom was not what I had envisioned. You know, it wasn't my mom around helping me with every little thing. And my mother-in-law was there, but it was not the same. Mm -hmm. And actually looking back to, you know, I have a really good relationship with my mother-in-law, but she and I have talked about this and we'll both agree that she spent about a week with us after my son and I were home. It's probably the worst week of our relationship. Mm. And it's because I was just at her throat. Like she could not Mm -hmm. do anything right because she wasn't my mom. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, that's real. When you have that high, high, high level of intense anxiety, even if you're not aware of it, nobody does anything right. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I think I had built up these expectations of how my birth was going to be, how the transition home was going to be. Mm -hmm. And when the reality didn't meet those expectations, it was just set up for failure. Yeah. That's so true. Right. So, I mean, you going into this feeling relatively okay, and then all of these like medical emergencies happen. And clearly, it was traumatic and traumatizing. But I mean, just the way you described it too, being like in shock and being numb to this really traumatic event, that's coping right there. That's people trying to just like get through that kind of being in shock and numb, but it really does kind of disconnect you. And it sounded like you were disconnected for a little while from your experience. And I think that's why I chose little projects. Like first, it was breastfeeding, you know, Mm -hmm. like, this is just my focus. Maybe it was my way to cope with it so that I wouldn't have to work through the birth trauma. Mm -hmm. And then finally, you know, that I would say my darkest moment was that day that I just screamed at my son. It was finally my breaking point. Mm -hmm. Right, because it sounds like it was so unlike you. And it sort of took you by surprise. It did. Yes. Most people would agree that I'm soft spoken. And not that I never yell, because I do. And, you know, he's in his terrible twos, starting his three-nager years. So there's (laughs) definitely been times where I've raised my voice at him. But this was unlike me. And Mm -hmm. I just, like I said, it wasn't just raising my voice. It was just full-blown screaming at him. Right. Right. And a lot of moms who describe that similar thing feel really guilty afterwards. Like why did I do that? Or how could I do that? Or, you know, shocked or just in disbelief that something like that is happening. Yes, it's still till this day, sometimes not all the time, but it's still a haunting thought and image and memory of that day. Yes. 
So, you know, again, looking back on this, you had quite a journey to get to a point that you could understand what was going on and and get the help that you needed. What would you say to other moms who are listening or who have had a similar experience to this or who may be suffering right now? I would say two things. One is trust your gut Mm -hmm. because I think I knew a lot sooner than I acknowledge that there was something going on. But because I started comparing myself to others, well, these moms are also struggling and Mm -hmm. then I'll eventually become better just like they have. Mm -hmm. But so I didn't seek help right away. So just Mm -hmm. trust your gut. If you think that there's something going on, you know, ask for help. So I also want to add that the healing may look different for everybody and there's not just one way for that to happen. In my case, I think for a long time I was resistant to medication, partly because there's such a stigma surrounding it. Right. And I was resistant to going to counseling and I thought, oh, I have an amazing support group. I'm just going to use that. But ultimately it was the combination of a support group, counseling, medication. And later yeah. on, once I was better and feeling up to it, exercise as well. But, you know, at one point I wasn't in a good place to even go out and exercise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. It's such a journey you've been on. And, and I know that you described being in survival mode. And that's what I hear as someone who's survived. And, and now you're in a position to kind of be back to yourself a bit and be living closer to the life that you want to be living. It takes an incredible amount of strength to get better. Well, I've definitely had a great, you know, support system with my husband and and it was survival mode and it was it took a long time but yes I'm finally at a good place where I can feel better and I guess I do want to add one of my biggest fears during my struggle was that because I was not with my son for those first four days I thought that he would never love me and it was just heartbreaking yeah so I just I knew I, I would tell my husband you know, he's just not, he's going to resent me for not being there those first few days. And I just want to say, I remember the first time that unprompted, he said the words, I love you. Mm-hmm. I just knew like, okay. Okay. Yeah. Like everything's okay. We are connected. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. Well, I'm really glad that you got to a point where you could hear him say that. And that you got through all of this and you're able to be connected to him now and, and to your husband and living your life. So I just thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's so powerful to do that and, and such a gift, I believe, to be giving to other people to hear. And of course, there's so many other details in people's stories that we never hear and never get to. But but there are so many women who have been through similar experiences to you. And there's so much power and healing in just hearing this reflected out in the world. And I hope that if there's a mom who's listening now and has been through anything similar to this, that you now know that you're not alone. And I thank you, Ingrid, for providing that and for sharing that with us. No, thank you for having me. And yes, to that mom, I just want to tell them that, you know, they are a good mom. Don't ever, ever doubt that. And you are the perfect mom for your child. That's awesome. Thank you, Ingrid. Thank you. 
I just want to take a minute again to thank Ingrid for coming in and sharing her story. It can be very hard to do. And for any of you who are listening who've ever tried to tell your story, it is hard. One of the beauties of telling our stories to moms who have had a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder is that there's such power in helping other moms. And it can also be very healing for us to say it and kind of get it out of our mind and body and know that we're still okay. Everything's okay. And it's really powerful to hear Ingrid's experience specifically because she had a very rough entry into motherhood and it took her a little while, but she was able to get the help that she needed and figure out more or less what was going on and begin to feel like herself and feel better. And that's really what I hope that all of you hear as well is that if you're suffering now that there's help for you. And for those of you who are therapists or helping mothers, and families that this message of hope that with the right help that they can feel better is really so, so imperative. So for those of you who want to talk more about this episode, please go and join our Mom and Mind Connection Facebook group. We'd love to have you there. It is building and we're welcoming people into the community every day. So if you have things that you want to talk about specifically related to this episode or any of our previous episodes, that is the place to go for that. And I'd love to hear from you. So thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com. Also, please subscribe and share this podcast. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Thank you for being a part of the Mom and Mind community. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.